Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. We are into our fourth week of a series on reclaiming revival. And oh man, it's almost over. I can't even believe we're four weeks in at this point. This is an important series that requires activity for us outside of just listening to this sermon or even discussing the sermon. What is God asking you to do? What do we need to change in our lives in order to seek revival and God breathing life into areas that are dead and dying? Whether that's our own personal lives, the communities we're in, or the systems built in this world. I hope that this series is challenging you to make changes and to prioritize God's work in your life. At the very least, after a long period of 14 months of discouragement and struggle and grief, it is my hope that as we look at these passages, as we talk about the history of what God has done, that it can build a little hope in you again. Hope that God wants to work in this world, in this life, in your life specifically, and that he doesn't want us to just hold our heads down, waiting for the resurrection, but that the resurrection of Jesus is happening today in our lives and is for us to live in the fullness of life as God is called. In this week, we are talking about personal renewal or the fact that revival begins with me, with us as individuals. As we talk about personal renewal and our responsibility in revival, I wanna share a story and a short joke. A man moves to the country, wants to become a farmer. He also believes in God's power, and so he says, I'm going to be a praying farmer. And so in the spring, as the season is about to begin, he starts with prayer. And he goes out over his field. He walks the whole ground. He prays over it. He trusts God. He weeps. He fasts over it. Summer comes, and still every day he gets out there. He prays over it, seeks God for it. The fall finally comes, and with great expectation, he starts going out every week, and he's praying, God, you are the God of the harvest. You're a God of generosity. I believe you in this. September, October. Now the beginning of November comes, not a single growth, not a single green bud, anything has come out of the land. He looks up into heaven and he goes, God, where are you in this? Where are you? I've trusted you for it. Where is the harvest? And he hears the voice of God speak back to him. Well, if you would plant one seed, maybe I could do something with this. For many of us, as we seek revival, the danger is in seeking God to do things apart from our own responsibility. The other side of it is living in misery, not believing a generous, hopeful God and just working and toiling. In renewal and in the fullness of life that God has planned, it is the hope of the generosity of our God, praying and trusting in him, and the diligent work of setting ourselves apart for that holy work of revival and renewal. As the Old Testament says in Leviticus chapter 20, a rule about life following Yahweh or following God says, so set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. What does it look like for us to set ourselves apart? Many of us are walking around in spiritual exhaustion. I know I have been in these places over the last year where we lack passion and excitement. And even in those times, you may experience a new Christian or a Christian on fire for Jesus and they're just talking about what God can do and wants to do and praying about it. And in those moments, you're just sort of like, yeah, I guess. What does it look like to see renewal in our own hearts and souls? Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, Jesus encourages us, come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As we talk about revival, we don't have to think about ourselves as these spiritual giants and ascetics putting ourselves into extreme postures and positions, but to think about ourselves as tired, worn out people from the cost of living life as a human who are setting ourselves apart to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, who in his presence heals and comforts and empowers and encourage and demonstrates his own grace and mercy by giving us his power and forgiveness. How do we recharge our spiritual batteries? How do we renew ourselves for passion and hope and expectation in God's power? We can't lead something we haven't experienced. And as we talk about revival, and next week we'll talk about what does a community revival look like, we cannot take that step without the diligence of setting ourselves apart for personal spiritual renewal. For me, this actually began a few months ago in preparing the series and God putting this heart for revival or reclaiming revival into me as I prepared for a study through the Gospel of Mark. And as a church, we spent two months teaching through each chapter of Mark, walking through the story of Jesus. And as I read the life of Jesus and renewed my commitment into that story, I was reminded that I'm expecting too little out of Jesus that my viewpoint on what he can do and wants to do in my life is too small. My excitement over who he is and that I get to live and serve with him is too low. And I felt God in that moment begin to renew me and revive me and rechallenge me to what I can expect him to do in my life and in our community. This brings us to a theological or Old Testament term of consecration. What does consecration mean? You may have heard this term. If you haven't, it simply means to set something, someone, or a time apart for God's special purpose and use. To set something apart for God to do something beautiful and particular with. We see this pattern in the Bible. In the beginning of the story of Genesis, God sets apart a day, a Sabbath day. Sunday or whatever day you choose, one out of seven days to be a day of rest. It is a consecrated day for God to use it to bring joy and renewal. Then in Exodus, God consecrates the firstborn of the Israelites. He saves them from the death of the firstborn and asks them to now set apart their firstborn for a special purpose for God to use and work something beautiful in them. Later, Moses leads God's people to Mount Sinai, where God then consecrates the whole people. All of you are set apart for my use and my purpose. Jesus consecrates himself in the desert in Matthew 4 before he begins his ministry. He sets himself apart before he is about to go into the tough work of ministry, reconciliation, teaching, and his own eventual sacrifice on the cross. The Israelites consecrate themselves in the book of Joshua before an important battle. And I'm going to give you a relieving aspect. Their consecrating method here is through the work of circumcision. That's how they consecrated themselves before battle. What I'm asking you to do is consecrate time and presence and your heart. You don't have to do anything dramatic to your body. In our minds and our hearts, setting ourselves apart for God to do something special and beautiful in our lives. What does it look like to set time, to set a place, to set a people apart for God to do a great work? 
let's revisit Leviticus 20, verse 7, and now let's add in the following verse, verse 8. Leviticus 20, 7 through 8. So set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord who makes you holy. There are two beautiful tensions at work here. Our own duty to set ourselves apart, and then God's faithful work of being the one to make us holy. There is a tension in seeking spiritual renewal. The tension over God's gracious work in our lives and the tension over our own work of setting ourselves apart. Too much on me, not trusting God, and I become tiny, miserable, and bitter. Too much emphasis on God without any of my own responsibility, and I become someone practicing what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a martyr and a theologian in the early 20th century, wrote called Cheap Grace. I just trust that God's going to do it. He's going to work it. doesn't require any sacrifice from me. It's the balance of our own work and trusting God's gracious activity. There is a biblical tension from Genesis to Revelation of our responsibility of setting ourselves apart and God's miraculous work of making us holy. We put ourselves into position, but only God can transform our heart. You can see it in this illustration. Look at the tension here. On one side, consecrating ourselves. On the other side, God making us holy. And there's this constant tension of us setting ourselves apart, consecrating ourselves. And on the other side, God transforming us or making us holy. This is the act of renewal, putting ourselves into position and trusting God's divine work. Two reasons it's your responsibility. Number one, take ownership of your spiritual transformation. Take ownership of your spiritual life. Anything that transforms and grows and births something new is out of ownership of a goal and a vision and a direction. Too many times in our spiritual life, we have no goal, no direction, no plan of action for transformation. It's like wading into a body of water, large body of water. All of them have riptides and currents. And if you walk in with no plan, no effort, you'll end up somewhere. You just won't end up there on purpose and you won't decide where you end up. For our spiritual journey, it's coming in with a desire and a plan of one foot after the other where we are desiring God to move and work in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the author of this letter to the early Christian church writes it like this. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. It's an activity that we take part in. Holiness, being set apart, being different from the rest of the world, not indulging in things that others partake in, spending additional time away from the rest of the world. What does it look like to live apart? Take ownership of your spiritual transformation. This is my big frustration with revival itself is that revival can often be our disassociation of responsibility. When God shows up, it'll all be fixed. I don't have to do anything. But that's not how it works. It's putting ourselves into position, praying over that holy discontent, seeking God to be at work in it, sacrificing our own time and energies to see God respond and bring transformation. 
So begin to own your spiritual walk, own your life. Too many of us are just walking in church, walking in our spiritual life, opening our Bibles randomly, hoping God would say or do something. Take active control over your spiritual life, ask questions, and begin to own your journey. Number two is that it is relational. Spiritual renewal is relational. God is a living being who interacts with us. And our growth and renewal comes from that interaction. God is relational by nature. So our renewal is a partnership together. Psalm 42 verse 7 in the NIV, some of my favorite verses that are just three words. Psalm 42 says, deep calls to deep. Our God is deep and vast and beautiful and mysterious. In order to respond to and to engage with him, we have to do the spiritual work of deepening our own hearts, of dredging out the areas that need to be removed and seeking God, to put ourselves in the place that the beautiful creator of the universe, when we walk in step with him, we can respond. Think about it of entering into a mentorship or an apprenticeship under a master craftsman. That craftsman is going to take us under their wing and teach us patiently, give us tools and training in order to move to the next level, in order to acquire the skills. But for the relationship to grow, we have to put in the effort and be present. We have to get there. We have to be consistent, seek them out, learn, and sacrifice other things. Every relationship we invest in requires us to say no to other opportunities and relationships. This is where FOMO and the fear of missing out can be detrimental to the life of a Christian, someone seeking renewal. We have to say no to good things in order to say yes to the great work of the relationship God wants to do in us. And so what's God's part in this? The Old Testament gives us a beautiful example of this in the beginning of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. He has incredible visions of God moving and working in his life. And then he places himself in between God's wrath and his own people and seeks for their mercy. But it begins like this. Isaiah has a vision. The vision is wild. Angels flying around, cherubim, heavenly beasts moving and working, and they're terrifying. Isaiah presses into it. And this is what Isaiah says when he sees God's glory. Isaiah 6, 5. It's all over. I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's army. In this moment, regardless of how much work or time or effort we put in, we cannot make ourselves holy. We can't. That's the essence of scripture. We can't make ourselves godly. We can't make ourselves holy and perfect. Only God's gracious hand and effort can do that. In the center of the text, it's Jesus. His death on the cross in our place, his blood that covers us, the power of his resurrection are what invite us into a holy relationship with God. Isaiah recognizes this in this moment. He goes, even though I put myself in this position, even though I've tried and I listened to your voice, God, I can't make myself holy and I'm un unworthy to. I'm dirty. I'm unclean. I tell too many crude jokes. I don't deserve to be here. And this is how God responds. Two verses later, an angel flies down and he touches Isaiah's lips with a burning coal and says, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed 
and your sins are forgiven. Our consecration or our effort of setting ourselves apart is training for holiness. It's putting ourselves into the place so when God responds, we're there and we can respond to his holiness. Think about it like asking someone out on a date. You have to put yourself out there and put yourself in position for them to respond. But they need to respond. And you can't control that. And you can't make that. If you say, I'm dating someone, but they've never conceded that and agreed to that, you're a stalker. And that's a crime. It requires a two-way street. Our holiness requires us to invite God's presence into our lives. But he is the one who takes that step and renews and remakes us. Different from dating, though, is that tension of talking to another human being who may not respond well, who may not want that same relationship. We have the benefit of Jesus Christ is the perfect human being. And every time we put ourselves into position and invite him into a relationship, he says yes. He responds with embracing. He responds with loving kindness. He responds by empowering us and coming in and meeting with us. And so we have to invite him in. We have to put ourselves into position and then wait patiently for him to respond with his loving grace and kindness. And the promise from scripture is he always responds with yes. He always responds with renewal into our lives. As we invite God to respond, as we hold this tension, what we're asking is for God to use us and to partner with us for something special, for renewal in our lives. Paul talks about this to a young minister in 2 Timothy, and he uses the object lesson of tools and items in the house. And some are special, some are not. How do we put ourselves into position for God to use us for something special and beautiful? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions. And the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Are we setting ourselves aside for honorable use? Are we putting ourselves into position for God to use us for good, special, beautiful works? I want to invite you, if you've been following along with this series, to revisit your holy discontent. What is that holy discontent for you? What's that broken area of the world that grieves you that you want to see God respond to? What is it? Hold it. Now ask yourself, am I a tool that God can use to heal or respond to this? Am I worthy of, am I prepared for God to use me to fix this holy discontent? I want God to respond to it, but if he responds, do I have the character and integrity, the faith and trust and patience, the kindness and gentleness to be someone he can use to answer this? My friend and Pastor Joe Adavai says it like this all the time. God's answer to a problem is often a person. And ask yourselves, am I a person that God can use to answer this holy discontent? Will my unsaved family see the fruit of the Spirit overflowing out of me and be moved towards God's love? Do I have conviction and grace strong enough to respond to injustice? 
Have I practiced silence and solitude enough that I can recognize God's voice when I'm praying over someone for healing or for a calling or direction? Have I put myself into position that I am a special instrument for God to use? And I want to actually say in this too, I'm not talking about honorable use being dramatic uses. And when we say honorable, I don't mean that that means you have to go and conquer slavery in the 18th century, or you have to go and lead a revival of 10,000 people, or even that God works through a miraculous, dramatic healing that doctors are like, we can't reason this. It doesn't have to be that. Most often, the honorable, beautiful, miraculous work God has for us is in our day-to-day life. The honorable work of showing a loving, gracious example to your spouse and to your children. The honorable use of giving generously that God can then serve the quartet of the vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the immigrant, and the poor. The honorable use of a consistent prayer life day in and day out that you are seeking God's best for those fellow members of your church body and the community around us. Henry Nouwen, a great theologian of the 20th century, says it like this. The question is not how many people take you seriously or how much are you going to accomplish or can you show some results. The question is, are you in love with Jesus? Our work of faithfulness is simply putting ourselves into position to fall in love with Jesus to fall in love with the character of who he is, to be in his presence. To be set apart is to be set apart from the world, but to be set apart for the presence of Jesus. To know him and see him and hear his voice. To discover his character and the goodness of who he is. Are we in love with Jesus? Are we inviting him in to spiritual renewal? Are we setting aside time and priorities in order to hear his voice and to see him in our lives? Will a revival begin with us because we are impassioned by who God is and what he's done for us and in us and trusting him to do it through us? So as we close, there are three settings in order to see God move and work. Three settings that will help us towards spiritual renewal, personal renewal. The first is confession. This is probably the hardest one, is confessing our weaknesses, our sins, and our failures. The revival in South Korea in 1907 began with a movement of confession. They came together, a bunch of pastors, for a prayer revival renewal service. And after the first couple days of it, they felt like there's just a a wall. We're not breaking through. I don't feel like God's moving or going to do something in us. What is standing in the way of us? And what began to grow in them, what began to be revived in them, is unforgiveness towards another nation. Unforgiveness towards the nation of Japan that for decades had oppressed their people, had attacked them, and had treated them poorly, and that there was resentment still in them. And they needed to confess that they still held anger and bitterness towards a nation to their south. And they gathered together and they began to name it and and declare, I still have bitterness in my heart. I still have unforgiveness. I hold racial tensions in my mind and heart that I need to let go of. And one by one, they confessed this to one another. And one by one, the Spirit of God poured out on them. It doesn't need to be that dramatic. And for us, confession begins 
by finding someone you can confess to. Finding a fellow believer, a pastor, a small group leader, a ministry leader, an elder in the church that's been more faithful and been around longer that you can come to and just say, hey, can I just confess with you? Can you hold me accountable? Confession is the beginning of renewal as it lays us bare before God. Confession recognizes that there are dead and dying aspects of our life. And as we say at the church, God will not speak new life into an area that we don't recognize as dead. We have to hold it up before him and say, this is broken in me and I need your grace, God, to heal me. Find someone, begin that confession, invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what is broken. Second, after confession is sacrifice. Something's got to give. We have to hand something over. This is an apocryphal quote of Albert Einstein, but that the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. This is often how we think in the church. I'm going to do the same things I've always done. I'm just going to maybe pray a little harder at this time or I'll read one more verse and I'll expect things to change. If you want revival, life from what is dead, if you want renewal, being transformed and remade in the image of Jesus, it will not happen if you continue to do what you've always done. Your life is perfectly designed to give you the results of what you are getting. And if you want different results, you will need to sacrifice some of the ways you live your life now. The number one being time, but it could be resources. Maybe you need to dramatically change the way you handle your finances and your resources and begin to think more about generosity and giving to others. Maybe you're living too indulgently and why is God going to move in renewal in my life if I'm filled with indulgent pleasures in my day? Sacrifice aspects of our life to see God move and work. Lastly is time. Confession, sacrifice, and time. It takes time. It takes time spent in God's presence. In the moment, more than a five-minute devotional time in the morning, maybe God's challenging you to 15, 30, an hour. In an hour, what would that look like? Prioritizing time in God's presence and then waiting weeks, months, and years for God to move and work. Jesus Christ says that he is the fullness of life. And as Paul writes to the church in Colossae, in his book of Colossians, he talks about spending time in the presence of the fullness of life in Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Since you have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, live in union with him. Keep your roots deep in him. Build your lives on him and become stronger in your faith as you were taught, and be filled with thanksgiving. Renewal happens by setting ourselves apart for time in his presence. You can't shoehorn in more time. You can't just make it or say you're going to try harder. Look at the schedule of your life. Where are you spending your time? I will tell you, you are spending way more time on your cell phone than you realize you are spending. Where are you spending time? And then take that out and replace it with a time of silence. Go for a walk with no earbuds. Sit in silence on a comfortable chair with a journal open and write what God speaks into your heart. 
Open up scripture in a plan and read through it and then read through it again. Invite over other members of the church. Invite over your small groups on a night that wasn't scheduled by your small group leader and have a conversation around your holy discontent and what you want to see God move and work in your life. It requires time spent in. Schedule God in for renewal. Confession, sacrifice, and time. Every revival has begun with one woman or one man seeking renewal in their life. Ask yourself the question at this time, can you be that person? Seek renewal in your life. As we close, let's meditate on three questions to invite God to speak into our lives at this time. Prepare yourself wherever you are and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you and God to give you a heart for personal renewal that we're setting ourselves apart but seeking his touch to make us holy. First question, what is your part personally in consecration? What is God calling you to do? What changes do you need to make in your life? Invite the Holy Spirit to draw this out of you. What do you need to change? What is your part in consecration? As you pray through that, now ask yourself, what is God's part in my consecration? What do I need to seek from him? What do I need to confess before him? Where do I need his grace and mercy in my life? And invite God to begin to do that work in you in this moment. Lastly, what sacrifice do you feel God leading you into in order to seek renewal in your life? What is that sacrifice? What needs to change or what do you need to let go of? What sacrifice is God calling you to seek renewal, to be the spark of revival in your community and in our world? As you pray through this, even you can drop it in the chat window or, or write it down here. What is God calling you to? What's he calling you to change in this moment? Lastly, if you're watching this video and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, or you don't know God personally, I want to give you a chance to begin this renewal right now, a dramatic act of renewal of taking that step of saying, God, I'm inviting you in. Jesus, I'm going to recognize you as Savior and Lord of my life. And I'll promise you, he is waiting in that door to respond, to bring spiritual renewal into your life. So if you'll pray this prayer with me. Jesus, in this moment, I recognize you as Savior and King and Lord and friend of my life. I want to seek you for renewal, for new life, for forgiveness and eternity. Jesus, I believe that you are God in flesh and you lived on this earth that you took our sins on your shoulders on the cross and you died in our place so we could live. You raised from the dead on the third day. You resurrected so that we could be resurrected with you and live in the fullness of life now and in eternity. 
Jesus, you gave your life for mine. Today, I commit my life to follow you. Will you lead me and guide me all the days of my life? Amen and amen. I thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. If you prayed that for the first time, just click the link down here or near this video. We would love to know, celebrate with you, and resource you as well. Next week, we're talking about how does our personal renewal move into revival, and I'm just excited for you to join us as we close out this series on Reclaiming Revival.